0: It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live from the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor. We bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser.
1: Aloha, happy Monday to you all. Thanks so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yenji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Ryan, I know Hawaii's riding high this morning, so happy for our American Idol winner. But I digress, we are focusing our efforts this morning <laughs> <laughs> and our conversation at the Capitol uh, to talk to someone who is in charge of helping the neediest in our community.
2: That's right. We want to bring in the new director of the Department of Human Services, Kathy Betts. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning and being on Spotlight Hawaii.
0: Morning. Thank you for having me here
2: today. You know, let's just start off broadly. uh, Just you are assuming this new role as a director uh, of DHS. And and we know that there are some challenges within the department that we'll get to this morning. But speaking broadly, uh, talk about just your role uh, and just assuming into this position and some of the priorities that you hope to accomplish as its new leader.
0: Sure. Well, thank you for that question, Ryan. Um, You know, I've been with the department in different capacities over the last 10 years. I started as deputy director in uh, 2017 and then assumed this leadership role as director about four months into a global pandemic. So we've had a challenging last few years, but I'm up for the challenge for another four years. Um, Just broadly, our priorities, we're continuing our IT modernization so that services and benefits can be easily accessed by our public. Um, I'm also... Looking at ways we can embed trauma informed care in the work that we do, including health and wellness of our staff who oftentimes have difficult and challenging work. So, a big push for us is ensuring the health and well being of our workforce and looking at more innovative ways to recruit and retain staff.
1: You know your office is important for so many folks who are reliant on benefits, snap, child welfare, child care, Medicaid. The list goes on and on. Um, Covid nineteen exposed so many vulnerabilities in our community. Where do you see the greatest need? Because uh, you know obviously uh, we have so many needs and only so many resources. So how do you prioritize who gets the most care?
0: Correct. Well, some of the you know vulnerabilities that we saw during the pandemic were food insecurity, economic insecurity, cost of child care. Those are all critical areas of need and they remain to be critical areas of need. Uh, To that end, we worked really closely with Lieutenant Governor Luke to pass legislation that uh, expands preschool open doors. And we're looking at also increasing our childcare subsidy rates. Um, During the pandemic, we really worked hard to apply for various federal waivers to ensure we could expand benefits and services. Uh, Specifically, we were able to expend over $70 million in federal funds for childcare stabilization grants and subsidies to, to families that needed childcare. Um, we also know that investing in our children and families can strengthen our families' rel- resiliency and well being. So uh, we want to set up our kids for success in their lives. Um, throughout the last few years, as I mentioned, we applied for various federal waivers, and our team was really, really flexible to adjust to numerous program changes um, to ensure the success of new programs like Pandemic EBT
2: and other federal assistance programs when we look at your department uh, there may be some confusion at, at times as to what the department does and often it may be mistaken for say a department of health services uh if you can just broadly speak to what the department does as a whole and and there have been some changes over time uh we also know that this uh, we also have added this uh forgive me the the department of trauma and um you know there's also this new sector as well so there's a lot of overlap overall uh If you can just speak to what your department uh, does and how it intersects with some of the other agencies.
0: Sure, sure. Our mission is really to support the self-sufficiency and well-being of individuals and families in Hawaii. Um, To that end, we deliver $3.6 billion in programs and services through four major divisions, Um, our Benefit Employment and Support Services Division, Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, our MedQuest Division, and our Social Services Division, as you mentioned, which oversees Child Welfare and Adult Protective. Uh, we also have the Office of Youth Services and Hawaii Public Housing Authority that are administratively attached uh, agencies. Um, finally, we have the Commission on the Status of Women, the Commission on Fatherhood and the Youth Commission, which are all attached to DHS. So we truly are the state safety net for children and families.
1: And, and as you compare you know how Hawaii is when it comes to the rest of the country, how do you think we're doing when it comes to servicing the, the neediest in our community?
0: Well, you know, we uh, expanded a lot of our programs during the pandemic. Uh, we were the first state in the nation to implement Medicaid coverage for our residents from compact nations. We are also the first state in the nation to implement uh, PEBT and get our PEBT plan approved by the federal government. So we've been working really hard around the clock. You know, I say to our staff that we got to take a break sometimes and take care of ourselves and really practice self-care. That's a big critical push for me is having a healthy workplace for uh, not just our, our families and residents in Hawaii, but for our staff that is, uh, you know, doing some really challenging work. Um, I, I think that sometimes um, a lot of departments of human services across the continent are kind of dealing with change fatigue because we had to implement so many new policies, programs, uh, federal benefits in, you know, practically overnight, um, you know, we. We talk a lot about the pivot that a lot of state agencies had to undertake during the first few months of that pandemic, but we truly did, and we we still are implementing a lot of those pandemic changes for uh, for services and benefits to go out with more
2: ease. You know, you talked earlier about one of the goals and, and missions that you had is really employee retention, and as you talk about some of these um, challenges that. You know your staff has and, and trying to make sure that you are finding the services to so you just take care of your own staff to make sure that they're equipped uh, and they can handle the pressures of the department uh, how are you a what what's sort of the the goal or, or what is sort of the plan uh, to ensure that you can keep the employees that you have but also recruit because uh, you know in speaking to many different leaders throughout various sectors in our community on this show it seems that finding quality workers is uh, something that everyone is dealing with so being a state agency and having to compete against uh, other you know nonprofits or other departments, how are you uh, pitching I guess the services and the employment opportunities in your department?
0: You know our department attracts some of the most caring and hardworking individuals in the state um, and so I want people to understand that you know we have a flexible work environment i i this is why I support. Um, Continued telework for, for folks that need to do telework. I don't think people should be sitting in traffic for three hours a day, bumper to bumper, just to get to work and deal with some of the most challenging cases in the state. So, um, one of the things that we do is, you know, we try to express to our staff that that um, we need them and that we support them and we care about them as whole humans. As you know, they have families. Um, we had folks that had uh, you know family members get very sick from COVID. Some folks that passed away. Um, You know, I myself was juggling leading a department while having two kids out of school. So I think really about remembering that our staff are all humans and they have real lives outside of work. So uh, I hope to express that to all of my leaders and to the staff that work for me.
1: You know, you mentioned the pivots that had to happen during the height of the pandemic, and now it feels like there are some pivots that have to happen as well, with May 11th happening. uh, That, of course, is the sunset of the emergency declaration on the federal level. We had spoken to the head of the food bank on this program and some other uh, sort of policy experts who really are concerned about the changes and benefits that have happened and that, you know, our community could experience what they call the hunger cliff, that people would uh, sort of fall off because they are not receiving these new, you know, these supplemental benefits that they had become accustomed to uh, for quite some time. What are your concerns with that emergency declaration going away and some of the benefit changes that have happened?
0: You know, we uh, we kept um, our emergency proclamation for food insecurity in place as long as we could with the federal um, emergency in place. Unfortunately, when that ended, we did have to um, reduce SNAP benefits um, the emergency appropriation that had created additional SNAP benefits. But one good thing is that um, Congress did pass pandemic EBT to be final. So that will support more families with children to have access to healthy food. Um, another thing we do is, as you mentioned, the food bank, we work closely with the food bank on messaging to ensure that you know that that, that folks aren't falling through the cracks, that they do have access to healthy food. Um, and so we'll continue to do that with our community partners and work closely with them to ensure that folks know where they can go for help and benefits.
2: We're coming off what has been uh, described as a- almost a chaotic end to the legislative session last year, uh, this past session. Uh, I'm wondering if you can provide some of the highlights that your department received through the legislature, some of the things that you were really keen on to lawmakers to advance for for your department, and what were some of the things that you felt were wins for um, the department overall with this past legislative session?
0: Sure, um, well, it was a it was an interesting session for sure. Um, one of the benefits that came out of this session, like I mentioned, um, the preschool open doors expansion. So we'll get uh, $38 million in fiscal year 25 to expand preschool open doors to three-year-olds. Currently it is for four-year-olds. Um, and so that's a huge win for us. I think that it's gonna uplift a lot of families um, and provide critical care for, for children in the state. Um, and we all want our children to have, you know, a healthy start. So I think that's probably the biggest win this legislative session.
1: I want to ask you, you know, about the grants and aid program. There's been a push uh, from the nonprofit sector to try to make some of these, uh, th- this funding more permanent so that they don't have to go to the legislature uh, each time and, and have to ask for the same money year after year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I know that your department, of course, works very closely with a lot of these uh, providers.
0: Well, I can understand why there is a push for GIAs to be made part of the budget. I think it's difficult for many nonprofits to rely on one or two year funding to do the work that they do. And I think it's oftentimes difficult to retain staff who may not feel job stability when funding is only possible through grant cycles. Uh, We actually worked closely with the True Cost Coalition To really educate lawmakers and the public about the true cost of doing business with government agencies and to really educate folks about the impact of cost of living and inflation on some of these contracts that haven't seen increases in many years Um, luckily some lawmakers have been supportive of those increases and we've been actively advocating for an increase in some of those contracts to support our community partners we couldn't do this critical work without them
2: and are you, and just staying on these grants and aids topic, do you speak to any of the lawmakers directly? Do they seek counsel or advice or uh, you know, just knowledge from the department when trying to determine uh, which of these nonprofits and community service programs uh, that the state would like to support? Because obviously there are a lot of nonprofits out there that go to the legislature each year and ask for money. Is, is that something that you folks are involved in? And if not moving forward, how do you think that conversation uh, might benefit having both of you, uh, your, your department at the table with these lawmakers when making these decisions?
0: Sure. Well, we definitely speak to lawmakers about the importance of our nonprofit providers. Um, we have hundreds of contracts with nonprofit providers throughout the state for you know doing really critical work like family visitation and Medicaid outreach and SNAP outreach and things like that. So we definitely make, make it known to the lawmakers um, that we have you know, a critical need in our nonprofit providers, and they really do need to be supported. Mm -hmm.
1: You had mentioned this uh, trauma-informed care sort of approach to helping your employees. You know, Tia Hartsock uh, was on this program recently telling us about this new cabinet position and and this new department that she's standing up. How closely are you working with what, you know, how closely are you aligning with what she's doing uh, with your own department?
0: Um, I'm working really closely with her office. you know that office really came to be because of the Trauma-Informed Care Task Force, of which I co-chair with with Tia. And so, to see this office come to fruition in the governor's office is really, I think, it's a pivotal moment for the state. I think we can really expand the ways that we do trauma-informed care, and uh, the ways that we, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's not easy to access government all the time, and to make it more easily accessible and not harmful and not traumatizing, I think is a critical role that we play. So I'm working closely with Tia and we're looking at ways that we can embed trauma-informed care throughout the department, not just for the residents that we serve, but for our staff as well.
2: You know, there, there will be some that criticize this move and said that this is something that should just be under the Department of Human Services as a whole and just another sector, rather than deciding to make it its own uh, department in its entirety. Uh, what would you, you say to those who maybe believe that this wasn't warranted, that there we really didn't need another director, another department? Why uh, is this separation between the two uh, so important?
0: Uh, well, you know, the legislature did pass a measure to uh, move the Office of Wellness and Resilience to the Department of Human Services in 2025, I believe. Um, and so we're looking forward to working closely with that office. Um, you know, I think that the last three years have really shown not just our resilience but it, it's it's challenged us as a state um luckily we came out of the pandemic um as one of you know the i think the um not most unscathed but you know our our health and well-being we um really uplifted that during the pandemic and we knew that people needed to be protected um but i do think that moving forward we're going to see a lot more um a lot you know the impacts of a pandemic that uh i mean we saw I think it was the CDC released a new report a couple of weeks ago on youth and mental health and social media. So I do think that um, there's a critical need uh, that we, we can rise up to the challenge
1: and address through this office. You know, right at the top, you were mentioning that one of the things you want to do is sort of streamline the technology and making it a little bit easier for folks to interface with your department when they're coming to you to ask for services. I think there are a lot of barriers when you talk to folks about just trying to access those services that are there. How can you, you know, what are you doing to try to break down some of those barriers so that people can get the benefits that that they're eligible for?
0: Sure, well, I mean, in the first month of the pandemic, we actually um, switched our SNAP application from paper to online so that folks could apply online. We have a call center that's 24/7 that folks are able to access um, if if they can't get through to a processing center. Um, We're just trying to do as much as we can in the public in terms of community outreach and public awareness so that folks know uh, where they can go for benefits and services. We started this IT modernization probably, I'd say six or seven years ago um, and so to see it kind of come uh, to fruition is really exciting. Um, you know, first was COLEA, which is for our Medicaid applications. And then the next is our um, BES, which is for our BESD financial benefits. Um, finally, we will be going live with our uh, comprehensive child welfare information system. So, you know, we're, we were stuck on a lot of legacy systems that we really needed to um, invest in. And so we've been supported by the legislature, thankfully, thankfully so that we could really get all of these um,
2: modernization in, in place. You know, when you rewind the clock and you look at this department, many of the services that DHS uh, you know, provide were cut during the Lingo administration uh, and the financial recessions that were going on at that time, uh, and that there were necessary cutbacks that were needed for the overall budget. Uh, but some of those services may have not have been fully restored. Uh, do you think that there are still consequences uh, because of some of the cuts that were made, especially to some of the mental health programs that were so vital during that time have we now being, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, uh, how do you think that that will impact, uh, you know, our, the, the being of our community?
0: Sure, that's a great question. Well, I think one of the long lasting impacts from that time um, is the trauma from the reductions in force and furloughs. Um, I was actually at the attorney general's office at that time representing the department, and it was a tough time for a lot of our staff. Um, so to rebuild and reinvest in our staff, I think is critical. And in terms of programs and services, we've actually expanded many of our services and took advantage of a lot of the various uh, pandemic waivers to ensure an increase in benefits. Like I mentioned, pandemic EBT um, is final, so that's that's a great thing. Additionally, um, our Medicaid coverage has expanded to 12 months postpartum for moms. And we were also, as I mentioned earlier, the first state to implement Medicaid coverage for residents from Compact nations. So we're really looking at ways that we can um, Truly serve as a safety net for
1: all of our residents. Where do you see the biggest pukas in that safety net? You know, where where do you think that that Hawaii is most vulnerable, and and what would you think that you know the average person could do to try to help?
0: That's a great question. I, I mean, I think that food insecurity is a real uh, a real challenge that's impacting our state's residents. So I think that's somewhere that we could see more state investment. Obviously, the SNAP program is federally funded, but if we had other creative ways to, um, you know, increase SNAP benefits for folks, that would be critical. Um, obviously, you know, we can all do our part in in donating to the food bank and various nonprofits out there in the community. Um, I think the, the other big push is for, you know, expanding child care, ensuring that all families in Hawaii can access child care and can afford child care. I mean, I, I know as a, as a mom that it's not easy. It, it's, it's quite a, a chunk of change when you think about it. And um, you know, I had two preschoolers at the at the same time, so I, 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 you know, very acutely know that the challenges of trying to find healthy and um, safe childcare that's affordable for for families in Hawaii.
2: As a whole, you know, this is a new administration and you're in a unique position where you served in another administration uh, and now see some of the changes that have happened with new leaders taking over new roles. Uh, if you can sort of explain how the transition has gone thus far, uh, this confirmation process uh, being introduced and, and getting, having to work side by side with some of these new directors, how have things been uh, overall and how would you describe the dynamics of this new administration?
0: I think it's a really great group. I think that uh, Governor Green really selected people for the, you know, their Aloha and their care for others. And I see that uh, reflected in all of the cabinet members. Um, you know, there's a lot of really experienced folks, but um, you know, they're all very, very kind and willing to collaborate, which I think is critical in state government. Um when we talk about breaking down silos, that's that's a critical need is, you know, the willingness, to um to say yes rather than no and I think that that's been reflected in you know definitely in DHS leadership over the last five or six years that just being able to um collaborate cross-sector um, being willing to have difficult conversations with your community partners when you mess up um, I think that's that's uh you know that humility in public services is is, is Critically important, so um, that's something that I see in this in this cabinet. So I'm looking forward to continuing to work with them over the next four years. Um, obviously, during session, it's a little bit harried and crazy and hectic, and you know you're working like you know 12-hour days just trying to keep up. So I think now that session is has finished, and we can kind of you know look at um, how we did in the state budget and start meeting more one-on-one and individually with other state departments, I think we can really get some um, great collaboration
1: and good work done. You know, one of the things that the governor has really hung his hat on when it comes to addressing homelessness is the Kawhale concept. And he has said that he wants two dozen or more of these across the state. Uh, over the next few years, they're starting to stand those up. We were uh, lucky enough to talk to some folks who are leading that effort uh, at that that level as well. But one of the things that is supposed to make this different is that it's not just providing uh, a space to live, but also these wraparound services that come through uh, nonprofit providers. How is your office working with those providers and with this whole team uh, to try to make sure that the folks who go into that housing actually get the services they need?
0: Sure. Well, I know um, Governor's Coordinator on Homelessness, James Koshiba, has been working around the clock to ensure that this uh, medical respite Kauhale in front of our building is, is successful. Um, I know that he's been working with Project Vision very closely and some other nonprofit providers to ensure those wrap services are successful in transitioning folks out of homelessness. Um, so I, I see good things for that, for that office
2: when we look at homelessness as a whole and just some of the challenges that are presented there, what are some of the other things that you're doing, your department is doing to help work with these other, uh, you know, partners and and other departments that are specifically targeting homelessness? But what does the, you know, your department in human services, what are some of the services and some of the assistance that you folks are providing specifically and plans uh, to sort of help this need? Because we know that there's No magic bullet, this is not going to go away over time. But what are some of the things that you've noticed to be successful that your department has helped with over the years?
0: Um, You know, I think our our big push for Housing First as a a framework and approach to ending homelessness has been really successful. Um, We contract, as I mentioned earlier, with hundreds of providers for emergency shelter, for domestic violence shelters. Hawaii Public Housing Authority, as I mentioned, is attached to us. So they've been working around the clock to ensure new inventory can come online so that folks can have affordable housing. So it's, I I do think, and I agree with you, Ryan, that it's going to take a whole array of services to really um, eradicate homelessness and ensure that folks have safe, healthy places to live. Um, But I do think it takes. It takes a village. I think it takes a lot of different programs. Housing First isn't for everybody. Cow Holly is not for everybody, right? So we have to have various uh, options that meet people where they are um, to ensure that their needs are, are addressed. And uh, like, like you said, there's not a magic bullet for this, for this issue. Mm-hmm.
1: We're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, you know, what do you wish people knew about your agency, about what it does, the services that are offered, and and how they can get involved, either as, you know, becoming a client and and accessing some of those services or simply supporting those efforts?
0: Sure. Well, I would urge people to go to our website, humanservices.hawaii.gov, to learn more about our services and benefits. Um, I think that one One thing that sometimes goes unnoticed is that you know we have really really hardworking staff they really really care about the work that they do they want to help people they want to serve the public Um, and you know sometimes there are constraints on that but i would urge everyone to you know treat our staff with grace and aloha just as we extend to those that we serve
2: and and is there any other final message this morning as you plan ahead for the next four years your thoughts about uh, i know you had listed some of the priorities but just looking down the line, I mean, if you could look uh, into the future and and then look back at the last four years, what were some of the what are some of the things and milestones that you hope to accomplish in these next uh, four years?
0: I really want um, I, I want our staff to feel fulfilled when they come to work. I want it to be a healthy workplace. Um I want it to be you know um, fulfilling so that folks when they go home, they know that they did a good job and they treated others with care and dignity. Um, I think that anytime we talk about state government, we have to continue to break down government silos um, and look at ways that we can partner with community so that we can just do a better job serving our residents.
1: Okay, Kathy Betts, the Director of the Department of Human Services. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, talking about your priorities and hopes for the future. We really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much. Aloha. Aloha.
1: Great to hear from her, Ryan. You know that department really handles so much, helping uh, the neediest members of our community, providing that safety net, as she as she referenced there. You know, child ref- child welfare, child care, Medicaid. Uh, so many SNAP benefits, and and really, when we asked her about what are some of the the biggest needs in our community, that she said she highlighted too, and that was you know hunger, food insecurity, and childcare. Uh, the legislature, of course, appropriating quite a bit of money for that Ready Cakey program that is being led by the lieutenant governor, uh, and something that she's working very the, the two of them are working very closely on. Um, and then noting that you know May 11th was a big day because the federal government uh, taking away that emergency declaration. Some of those benefits are going away. Uh, We have heard from others in this space that say that they are worried that there could be a lot of food insecurity that's really amplified over the next few months. Uh, That's something that she's concerned about as well, and really encouraging people to donate where they can to the food bank um, and also to access services if you need them, that there are services available from the state.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's not surprising that we hear that the Director of Human Services, one of the things she's advocating for is her own employees. And uh, you heard it many times throughout our conversation this morning with the Director talking about the importance of investing in her employees and those who make uh, up this department, recognizing that they do work hand in hand and uh, are the front lines in a lot of ways to some of these services and the challenges that can present having to work with these types uh, of individuals who are suffering a, a lot. And so uh, you heard from her saying that one of the priorities is to make sure that her staff is healthy. She continues to push that uh, telework and allowing the flexibility for her employees to be able to work from home, but still be able to provide the necessary services to the public that they have. And, and again, she reiterated, uh, you know, at the end saying, if looking back, one of the things she wants to do is just make sure that her workers are happy knowing that they are helping to fulfill some of the biggest needs in our community uh, and really working with some of the most vulnerable and, and just knowing the taxing type of environment that could pre- uh, present for individuals. Uh, so you really hear from her, her heart for her employees and hope to continue to find more individuals like that to fulfill the department.
1: Yeah, great to catch up with her. We hope to have her on again in a few months uh, to give us an update on the efforts of her department. On Wednesday, we're continuing, you know, in a somewhat similar vein, talking to Dr. Jim Ireland. It is EMS week. Uh, He, of course, is the head of the Honolulu Emergency Services Department, also the head of Ocean Safety. We'll be talking to him about the challenges that EMS is facing. You know, there are never enough rigs to cover all the need of our island. And then, of course, you know, talking about workers, there again, there's another place where they really, really need more staff. So we'll be talking to him um, about all that that department does and getting update on CORE. Uh, that, of course, is their uh, program that they stood up to try to help uh, divert some folks from the emergency room who might be chronically homeless and need care on the street, but not necessarily need to go to the emergency room and take up that space. So how's CORE going? Uh, we'll be talking to that uh, and, and more with Dr. Jim Irons right right here on Wednesday.
2: And then on Friday, we'll be speaking with the governor, always uh, a lot to talk about with Governor Green, Uh, you know, of course, uh, getting his assessment of how things went with this legislative session. He also has some decisions to make about some of the money that has been allocated to uh, him in this sort of special fund, if you will, uh, deciding to... Uh, figure out if it's going to be going through things like HTA, uh, as well as other projects that are asking for this money and departments like the Department of Education. So uh, there's always a lot to talk about with the governor. And so we look forward to that conversation on Friday. Uh, we thank you for joining us here. We'll see you right back here on Wednesday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha.